You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. It's really a question of mission, vision, purpose, and goals. And if you're clear on the why, why, why is what you're doing in the marketplace, why does it still matter? And why do you have to pivot it? And if you do have to, for whatever reason, external or internal, and you're choosing to, are you clear about where you're headed? Are you clear about what the vision is and where you're you're pivoting? Is everyone with you on your team clear about to where you're pivoting? Do they believe and agree with that change? And if they do, and you have shared values, check the box, you've got step one. That was Alyssa Rapp. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hi, welcome. Welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. I hope everyone is staying healthy and fit. Excited to connect you to today's guest, CEO, founder, and athlete, Alyssa Rapp. Alyssa Rapp is the CEO of Surgical Solutions and one of Crane's Chicago Notable Women in Healthcare. Prior to this, she founded Bottle Notes, the leading interactive media company in the U.S. wine industry, which earned her a place on Inc. Magazine's 30 Under 30. She is also the founder of AJR Ventures, a strategic advisory firm advising private equity firms and private equity-backed companies. Alyssa Rapp is the author of Leadership and Life Hacks, a guidebook for anyone looking to be more efficient and effective. She is a lecturer in management at Stanford's Graduate School and an adjunct professor of entrepreneurship at the University of Chicago's Booth Business School. On today's episode, Alyssa shares where her journey into entrepreneurship began, switching gears as a CEO, pivoting in COVID times, and the athletic training that strategically positioned her for career success. I hope you enjoy what you hear. If you do, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to the app, scroll through the Marnie on the Move podcast episodes, click on five stars, click on write a review, and tell me what you love. Before we get started, a word about our sponsors, Mad Ritual CBD. Today's episode is fueled by Mad Ritual CBD. Mad Ritual CBD has changed my recovery game in a really big way. Get ready to recover like a rebel with these awesome, high-quality, CBD-infused products. Their CBD balm is off-the-charts amazing. And I'm not the only one that thinks so. Mad Ritual has 100-plus five-star reviews. The balms have five simple organic ingredients, coconut oil, shea butter, olive oil, plant wax, CBD, and different blends of essential oils. Personally, I prefer the eucalyptus and peppermint. They also offer a terrific CBD-infused total recovery supplement. Not just for athletes, the products are formulated to ease all of the aches and pains that come along with being an active human. So, if you're sore from life, Mad Ritual gets it. Founded by women athletes and active entrepreneurs, they are committed to helping active folks bring more balance to their lives. Mad Ritual is offering Marnie on the Move listeners 15% off. 
Head over to their website, madritual.com, and use the code MARNIEONTHEMOVE. Now, on to the episode. Alyssa, it's so awesome to catch up with you. We've spoke years ago about your fitness and wellness routines and how it fuels you for success in your career. You're an entrepreneur, you're a CEO, you're an author. Where did your journey into entrepreneurship begin? Sure. Well, Marnie, first of all, thank you for having me on your podcast, and it's really fun to reconnect. My journey into entrepreneurship actually was probably rooted deep in my heart and soul in athletics. I was a childhood athlete and a gymnast, and I, I did write a chapter on on this experience in my book, Leadership and Life Hacks, Insights from a Mom, Wife, Entrepreneur, and Executive. And I talked about how when I was a childhood gymnast about managing fear and how you have to really stare down fear. And every time you're learning a new skill, like on the balance beam, you have to visualize it, commit to it, practice it first on a line, on a piece of tape on the floor exercise, then you, you graduate to the balance beam where there are mats stacked to the top of the beam, so you're still doing it on a, quote, flat line, but the room to fall is lower, is, is zero, and then as you gain more and more muscle memory, you remove the mats one by one, and so you create more distance between the top of the beam and the floor, and what I learned through that experience as a childhood athlete, that really, when once you've done it on the floor even, but particularly on the balance beam with the mat stacked to the top, once you've nailed it there time and time again, you actually physically can do it. But the difference between doing it with the mat stacked up and having them totally removed is 100% in your mind. And so that notion of committing to something, visualizing it, committing to finishing it before you start it, and conquering fear and going for it, those are all 100% the same skills that have to be used when an entrepreneur. So, you know, that question of how did you become an entrepreneur, I think is probably deeply rooted in uh, being a childhood athlete. I loved that that section in your book. I thought that was amazing because we actually had that conversation. My partner's daughter is a, was into gymnastics and we had had that conversation about how you go from doing the balance beam on the floor to on the actual balance beam to without the mats. And a lot of people are, a lot of gymnasts and young kids are very scared to, to make that transition, understandably. But I never really thought about it uh, in the realm of entrepreneurship. And really, I mean, the parallels are incredibly similar. And I also think just in, in all athletics, taking risks is normal. So when faced with adversity, you learn how to overcome it in your mind, which I think is very relevant to what's happening now in the world, right? I mean, right now, we're in a massive global health pandemic and everybody's scared and we're have, being forced to learn all kinds of new things from working at home to having homeschooling our kids and not knowing what the future of the economy is going to be. It's a pretty scary time, but I think as somebody who's an athlete and an entrepreneur, even, even with those things, mentally, there's still a lot of challenges, but at least I feel a little bit more of wired to sustain what's happening. I completely agree. And I think that, um, you know, another thing that an athlete does is always think about the instrument of the body as a, a tool, right? Because at some level, that is who we are. And in terms of the tool of the body, it's it's what you have to take care of all the time. And I talk about in the book, one of the hacks is put your own, as a parent, for example, put your own oxygen mask on first. And for me, that is a euphemism for taking an hour a day for myself. And that means that I do work out 45 to 60 minutes a day. I wish it were two hours. I wish I had that kind of time. I don't. But that 45 to 60 minutes is like 
as crucial to my mental health as it is to my physical health. And it's not because I, it's not vanity, it's sanity. And it's that clearing of the mind, the natural endorphin rush, the focusing on something. I had some of my best, most creative bursts during those phases, frankly. And I don't think that the time of COVID or any other crisis is a time to let that go. In fact, I think that's a time where the routine and ritual of that self-care is all the more sacred because if you're not taking care of yourself, and again, for me, doing one thing a day for yourself, and for me, that is working out. If you're not doing that, then it's much more easy to get depleted, both physically and emotionally. And so I think that that you know, hack, put your own oxygen mask on first. Well, in the book, I talk about that. It could be anything for someone. It could be meditation. It could be journaling. It could be yoga, working out, you know, anything. It, I'm, it is not my right to dictate what that would be for anyone else. But doing that is what I think is super crucial. So your book, Leadership and Life Hacks, is your newest creation. So tell me a little bit about what inspired you to write this book and what the overall concept and idea behind it is. I've always thought that writing articles for thought leadership perspectives really, really, really matters in terms of brand building, both in my first company, Bottlenose, about which we first spoke, Marnie, and then now in the private equity-backed healthcare world of surgical solutions where I live in these strange times as the CEO yes. of a healthcare company. But um, Leadership and Life Hacks was born in the originally in the weeks before I took the, the helm here at Surgical Solutions, my husband and I had just moved back after a decade and a half of Silicon Valley. We had moved back to Chicago. I accepted the role in, in December of 17 and was to start a month later. And I sort of looked in the mirror and said, oh, my God, what have I done? And I write about that in the intro of the book. So I was, I took the month to contact my close friends who were CEOs and had done turnarounds and get their reading lists and read those books and and think long and hard about all the experiences in my life, like being a childhood athlete, of which we've already spoken and being a dot-com CEO prior to this, et cetera, and thinking about how those experiences had prepared me for this moment and kind of shored myself up for the challenge and, and, and did as advised by the books and the friends and the advisors and the confidants, such as you know create a 100-day plan and execute it starting day one when you arrive, et cetera, et cetera. That was that process of sort of gathering and thinking and preparing is what ended up unbeknownst to me, becoming the arc of the story of leadership and life hacks. The book itself is not just based on my time here. The book itself is, you know, two-thirds leadership hacks or or takeaways and one-third life-related. And it, it's, it is a bit chronological in the first few chapters and talking about, you know, the first company, Bottle Notes, and then the strategic pivot we had to make there, and then transitioning out of that life as a start.com CEO and into the life of a private equity-backed healthcare CEO, and then the different tricks of the trade and, and in conducting this turnaround, but hopefully are useful in all times, including now, you know, how to manage a board or how to manage key stakeholder groups and how to be a great mentor or mentee and how do you evolve your culture. And then it switches the last third of the book into the balancing act of being a mom, wife, athlete, entrepreneur, and executive and why it's important to celebrate the good times. And, you know, the second to last chapter was everything that almost hit the cutting room floor, uh, 23 mini hacks you never knew you needed. And then the last chapter is inspired by my husband, Hal Morris, to keep swinging. And I think that, you know, perseverance and the crucialness of, of, of it. So I think that it was really that that's the arc of the story. And my hope is that it, you know, when I get asked why I did it, I think, first of all, I was asked. I think, you know, to be fair, I wasn't seeking to do another book. And Forbes books came to me and I give them a lot of credit for that. 
And secondly, because I think, you know, women particularly, myself included, don't necessarily do everything we could do unless we're asked. Fine line. But in this case, I was glad I was asked. Right. And then secondly, you know, if I can save anyone one day of the school of hard knocks of what I've lived from this, then by all means, happy to do it. Yeah. So before we do a deep dive into the book, tell me a little bit about Bottle Notes and what that was. And was that your first company that you started? It was. It was a the Netflix for wine, and it was originally an e-commerce play in 05 to 08 where we were delivering wine tailored to people's personal taste using patent-pending matching technology. And then due to a big regulatory shift, we had to pivot to become a media company and educate and entertain that next-generation wine enthusiast about wine through email newsletters and large-scale events, and then let brands pay us an advertising fee to advertise to our audience both digitally and interactively. So it was a 10-year run. It was a really extraordinary life experience and ride and a roller coaster ride for many reasons, but great, great fun and great people and a great industry. Talk to me a little bit about pivoting because you mentioned pivoting and I think everybody's pivoting now. Of course, now in these times as an entrepreneur and now a CEO where you're CEO at Surgical Solutions. Talk to me a little bit about pivoting and what that means and do you have some tried and true strategies around how you do it and from the mindset to actually tactical? I think that it's really a question of mission, vision, purpose, and goals. And if you're clear on the why, why why is what you're doing in the marketplace, why does it still matter, and why do you have to pivot it? And if you do have to, for whatever reason, external or internal, and you're choosing to, are you clear about where you're headed? Are you clear about what the vision is and where you're to where you're pivoting? Is everyone with you on your team clear about to where you're pivoting? Do they believe and agree with that change? And if they do and you have shared values, check the box. You've got step one. But then the next question is if someone's wavering, better to have them out versus in because it's better to have fewer people rowing in choppy waters in the same direction than having right. more people wondering if one is in or out. And then if you've got that you know, shared vision, shared purpose, shared compass, the right people in the boat with you, then you got to paddle like hell and probably farther and harder than you thought you were going to have to. And that is how you pivot. And I have never met a pivot that didn't require all three of those. Amazing. I mean, I think a lot of businesses are pivoting now in terms of how they're doing business, what they're offering, what their services are. I think it will be interesting to see how things kind of shake out and what the next iteration is of all these retail, fitness, restaurants, businesses over the next year. Tell me a little bit about Surgical Solutions and what you're doing there. Yeah, we are an outsourced healthcare service provider with that operates in 10 states and 30 hospitals with 200 plus people in the field. And we are at the front line helping with preoperative, intraoperative, and postoperative support of surgeons and nurses in hospitals, and then helping decontaminate scopes and instruments that are used in minimally invasive surgeries like an appendectomy or a colonoscopy. And it's a it's an important, crucial role that outsourced, well-trained highly committed outsourced healthcare providers always provide in our hospital systems when they're forced to do more with less and need skilled labor that they can bring in to help supplement their own staff. But it's even more crucial right now in this time of crisis. So um, I'm at the front line. Our 200 people are on the front line. They are in hospitals. So they are asking, you know, we're having all the, you know, the major harrowing starting at 6 a.m. every day, you know, having these conversations like, 
what do I do if we believe one of our team members was exposed to COVID and what's the CDC protocol we follow, obviously. And then secondly, we do the, um, you know, we have the other extreme of our hospitals are still going to need our help and we need to bring well and committed people into those hospitals for the emergency cases that still occur and making sure that we're staffed up accordingly. And then similarly in between, what if people want to work and are healthy, but we don't have the cases since elective surgeries across America are being canceled right now. Right. I was going to say, how is that affecting your business? Yeah. I mean, it's going to start affecting us dramatically in about a week. It's already started, but it's going to hit the hardest in about a week. And then I've got to figure out how to take care of my people. So that they. So what do you do in this case? uh, You hope that the federal and state governments do the right things, as some of them are starting to, in issuing emergency temporary unemployment benefits for workers who are directly, whose hours are directly affected by COVID, as ours, our people's will be, who are paid hourly. And you... You hope that the feds and the state do the right thing, and you as a company dig as deeply as you can from your own reserves to take care of your people and do everything you can to usher people through it. I mean, that's what you do. You dig deep. You you invest heavily. You take the reserves you hopefully had and spend them all to get people through this, and you hope that the state and federal governments do the right thing. Do you feel like you're going to have to pivot with your company? I feel like there's an opportunity to pivot. It's a great question, by the way, Marnie. No one's asked me thus far. Um, it, I do feel like we're going to have the opportunity to expand our offering a little bit, maybe to be not just opportunistic, but really of service to this country. They're go- we're going to need uh, skilled healthcare providers in this time of crisis. And even if we're sidelined in our elective surgery support, perhaps there's other support we can provide. And we're just starting to poke around and see what that might be. But on the other side of the crisis, whether that's three, six, or nine months from now, People in hospitals are going to need as much outside labor to flex up as they can as these as these surgeries get rescheduled. They will have been hammered by COVID, and then they're going to be hammered with busyness. Mm-hmm. So that's where hopefully an outsourced service provider like ours can really be a partner and help provide that flexed up support on the other side of this thing. And so how do you prepare prepare for that in the interim? Well, first you protect your existing people, and then you take it from there. So that's the, we're in the middle of, I'm in the eye of the storm. Yeah, you are. And you said you were in your office right now. Which- Self-isolated, alone, no one else here. Um, everyone is, is on lockdown and we're expected to be at home. And if their communities have been determined to be self-quarantining and sheltering in place, we observe. Illinois in my hometown have not observed sheltering in place, so I am comfortable driving the 14 minutes down the road alone into my office and sitting here alone to do some calls and podcasts and, and yeah. to be able to be without the background noise. But the... Uh, the reality is, is that, you know, we are we are hunkered down like the rest of the country. It's a it's a unfortunate reality that the epidemiologists and immunologists, not to get overly political, but that who had whistleblown this in China were censored. And yeah, I'm not trying to be incendiary, but this is, I mean, irrespective of one's political views, yes. it's to me unconscionable on the global scale that whistleblowing medical professionals who whistleblow this in November were censored. To me, that's unconscionable. I think it's just unconscionable. So I agree to be, can, yeah. Yeah. And I think it should be taken up by, you know, the World Bank and the, and the UN after this in, in a different time in a different place. At this juncture, as we're all trying to cope, we can all be critical or not of what people's reactions to this. I think everyone is trying to do the very best they can in the state and federal levels to figure out how to break through and get this under control, both for the stock markets and more importantly for everyday working Americans. And I think I'm, I'm an optimist. So I'm hopeful we will. Yeah. Um, there's no free lunch ever. And right. we're going to need to get some 
spending federally and statewide in check as a result of this because it's going to have a toll beyond all tolls after the fact. But right now, we just got to get through it. That's my current view. I feel like we have to get through it. I feel like nobody knows what's going to happen. So that's amazing advice about pivoting. I think people are really going to have to wrap their head around what's going on and stay strong. I like the visual of navigating through the waters and being on the boat and (laughs) having the whole team on board. Because it is true that if you look at even, you know, if you look at businesses, like everybody very quickly, just I'm talking about the fitness industry in New York City, just from my sort of micro view of things over here, it's like everybody quickly ramped up and got their trainers to do digital workouts and studios are offering digital content and nobody cares about if it's on Zoom or if it's been produced by like the top production company People are just trying to help everyone. So it it feels like we're coming together in this time. I agree. And I can't, I am a shareholder, not an advisor of any nature, but I can tell you that I can't say enough good things about my Peloton bike and tread right now. They have been my saving grace in the last couple of weeks. I feel like Peloton is definitely uh, benefiting from sales at the moment. I don't mean to, I'm, I'm not sure. saying Lots that, of home yeah. delivery. Yeah. I'm not here to give investment advice, but no. I'm sure lots of home delivery public equities are. Um, yeah. And how are you, so, you know, speaking of maybe there's like a lesson, like, you know, from the book that <laughs> maybe we should take your book and maybe people can read your book right now who are navigating through these tough times. And maybe there's a couple lessons that you talk about in the book that might be applicable for right now for people yeah, to kind of like absolutely for right to. now i think there are a few you know in leadership and life hacks i think one of the hacks as i already said on this podcast was you know put your own oxygen mask on first and take care of yourself in this time and whatever that means to you if it's meditation journaling reading extra romance novels uh working out at home through all the wonderful digital content available through a myriad of platforms from peloton to everything else I think that that's a terrific thing to do in this time to to set a new goal or a different goal or a different priority and prioritize you and spend time. Or if you already do that, my goal is instead of spending 45, spend 60. I mean, I would spend two hours if I could, but you know, I, yeah. I just just do a little bit more at home than you otherwise would. Take lemons and turn them into lemonade. I think another thing is, and these are not in the book. These are potentially for leadership and life hacks round two. Um, I've been doing a lot of thinking about e-learning and at home, and there's so many hacks we've tried to develop in our household over the last three weeks, and particularly three days, and getting this e-learning spun up. But you know, first and foremost, we created a new space for our children to have their e-learning. You know, we cleared off an old desk, set it up with a, a an old lamp, but just created a new space and created a dedicated space. This is where you go for school when you sit down for your e-learning. We have it be participatory, where my, mommy and daddy and nanny and little sister all have to participate in different module so that you have interaction and it's not quite as dry as staring at a screen or at, right. a, at a workbook alone. And um, we take every opportunity to make it multimedia. So when the teacher says we can FaceTime you once or twice a week, we take her up on it. When it's opportunity, when there's an opportunity for our favorite author, Mo Willens, who's at the um, Kennedy Center as an artist residence to do a, a, a lunchtime doodles video and then have an interactive exercise, we do it. It takes more time. It takes more work. It's a very different life phase than we were in a week ago even. But 
we're really trying to leverage the resources around us. There are cultural institutions in this country that have extraordinary amounts of rich content that you would not, I would not, I should speak for myself, otherwise prioritize and bring into our daily family life. We're getting wonderful e-learning learning menus from our school. I'm not suggesting they're not being front and center in our protocol, but really just trying to think creatively about how to interact with the community. And if you're not, if one isn't sheltering in place, um, cousin of mine, Jocelyn Stanton of Boston is an educator. And she said, you know, use your environment around you. So our kids went to the beach with and collected rocks. No one else was there. They went for a very short period of time, but they collected rocks and brought them home to paint them to make a new rock garden. How can you leverage the resources around you and the old sticker books in the house and the old this and the old that for art projects? What can you do to create science experiments? I mean, there's a lot available out there that's not online that uh, is important, but at the same time, to keep the days full, we've also tried to, you know, and this is in leadership and life hacks, I'm, we're a slave to a, a routine, not a schedule. So every day isn't reading at 9 a.m. Every day is e-learning from 9 a.m. till 12 with a, lunch, with a snack break at 10.30 and a 30 minutes of reading, you know, when lunch is done. But it's not, you know, everyday math and science and art and library. It's what do you choose your own adventure? Okay, you know this is the time. Let's get structured about it. What are we going to do today? And then we're going to say what we did and we're going to record it. Not just because we have to for school, but because it's important to reflect upon. And another hack in the book that I think is particularly relevant in the time of COVID is peaks and pits. My dear friend, Marissa Mayer, who was the CEO of Yahoo, wrote the introduction to my book, and she's extraordinary. And I, I learned this from her. With her kids every night before they go to bed, she goes through the peaks and pits of their day. And I've been doing That's that with my exercise. kids always. That's a great exercise. I love that. It's an amazing exercise for you as an individual, let alone with children. Yeah. And for me as an individual, let alone with children. And this whole notion of, okay, what, what, what was good about this day? What, was, what wasn't so good? What was uniquely different and better? What do we want to keep going with as a habit or pattern after COVID? What do, what do we want to never have to do again? I used to sit at our desk alone for six hours and learn without our friends, right? I mean, I think there are, there are times to create new habits and new patterns and whether you choose the timing, none of us would have chosen this, but there's always, there's always opportunity in my mind to make lemonade out of lemons. I think that that is as an entrepreneur, as an athlete, that is something that I've always looked to in when navigating choppy waters or tough times, or if there's a challenge or an obstacle, you have to embrace it back to your book are there any other tips and advice that you might offer listeners, entrepreneurs particularly, who might be helpful as you look to build a business? I think that in the book we talk about, I talk about achieving episodic versus daily balance. And I talk about that on a personal note, right? I try to nail, but it applies to business as well and entrepreneurship. And on a personal note, that means that think, I try to think about balance as not something that can be achieved every day because it, it's really hard for it to be. But it can be achieved if I try to nail two stakeholders a day, be a great mom and a great CEO or a great wife and a great CEO or a great mom and a great wife, but you know, not necessarily being able to do all things excellently every day. If I think about balance as something to be achieved over several days or a week, it's more achievable. And episodic versus daily balance also applies to entrepreneurship. So if in these times, in the time of COVID, it could mean that you have a little bit of found time if you can afford it to really dig deep on some strategy and some planning and some thinking or other initiatives that are like fourth or fifth in the priority chain because you now have the time if you're in sales, right? If you're, you know, you can start pre-qualifying leads. You could do things that are different because you've got the time. And so I think that's probably the best one I've got. That's a good one. I like that. 
you know, you just mentioned being a shareholder and being on boards. Is that something that you think is important as you grow in your career as an entrepreneur is to kind of stay connected with other companies and brands? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and so, how do you do it? Well, on a personal note, I am, instead of being the entrepreneur right now, I have with my family and I'm running a private equity back company, which is different than starting something from scratch. I do, we, we are still, I'm still actively involved in the ecosystem of entrepreneurship in three really crucial ways. One, I still teach at Stanford Business School. Two, I teach at, you know, entrepreneurship at University of Chicago Booth Business School. And three, my family and I have invested in four seed stage venture funds. Mm-hmm. And we do that in order to, instead of make one big bet in a handful of companies and three or four companies to make, you know, through by investing through these exemplary seed stage funds that are run by classmates and friends, we are able to have, you know, smaller, small, much smaller pieces and many more, uh, the ecosystem of entrepreneurship. And it's a way for me to see deal flow and to funnel my deal flow into firms that I know do professional vetting. And it's been really gratifying to, to stay involved and on the sidelines compared to being in the, in the huddle, but in the world of startups, it doesn't mean I haven't done a teeny bit of an angel investing directly, but I have, you know, nothing, nothing to write home about. It's been gratifying. And it's also always through my students. I always coach, advise, et cetera. Oh, that's a good idea. Know, entrepreneurs. Yeah. yeah. All the time. I like that idea. The people, if I invest in any of them, that's who I invest in. Was it just moving to Chicago that sort of inspired your shift from entrepreneurship to going and working as a CEO? Yeah. Oh. After bottle. Yeah. So I talk a little about this in the book too. I, I spent a, a couple of years after Bottle notes, I had our second daughter, and I, I wanted a couple of years where I wasn't responsible for as many mouths to feed. And I wanted a couple of years where I was really just leveraging my experience providing advice instead of running the team. And it was awesome. And I, I learned in that two-year period that I loved private equity. In many ways, I found it more egalitarian than venture, and, and that um, private equity firms were motivated by profits and EBITDA, but at the same time, what your internal rate of return is and what your compounded annual growth is and did you deliver the outcome people were seeking is very tangible and also very black and white. And it kind of doesn't matter if you're male, female, pink, purple, tall, short, fat, thin, gender, race, et cetera. It's like, did you get the job done? Did you get the time and the mile you were seeking? Right. I like that after having lived the Me Too era of, of the 2005 to 2015 and, and dot-com Silicon Valley, which I lived everything of and was what it was. I was ready. I like that egalitarianism. So I knew I liked private equity from those two years of advisory work. And then we ended up moving back to Chicago for personal reasons because my father-in-law passed away unexpectedly and we were it was time to come home. We have elderly grandparents who remained. And we were excited to move back to Chicago on a personal level because my husband and I, although we met in California, are both from here. And it was through that private equity insight that I ended up talking to some private equity firms here and then had a good fit at the time with Sterling Partners and where they and they were doing some consumer stuff, which was more up my alley and what I really loved, but they had a real need and a turnaround for a healthcare company and I I said yes and, and here we are today. Well this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. People can get your book obviously on Amazon and it's leadership and life hacks. Yeah, you can learn more about me at alyssarap.com, A-L-Y-S-S-A-R-A-P-P.com. And, and the book is, of course, available in all forms on, on Amazon. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com, for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, 
Sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, moneyonthemove1 at gmail.com. And let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out 